You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Tonight, uh, in our third session of soteriology, talking about study of salvation, we're going to talk about can you lose your salvation, okay? Um, how many of you ever gotten into a discussion about this with anybody? Raise your hand, okay? Um, so this is a pretty important topic, I would say, for us. And I'm going to go ahead and just um, skip to a, even a point in this question that I think is very important. I'm going to circle a word here that is necessary for it, okay? The your part of that question is the key word that we've got to address. Can you lose your salvation? So I'm going to sum this whole class up, and you're going to be like, well, can we just go on home early? No, but it's not your salvation. It's God's. It's God's salvation that he gives to us. If it was yours, yeah, you probably could lose that. But if it's his, that's a different story. And so I want to be able to prove that to you tonight through God's word, because the, the chance of losing salvation depends on whose work it is ultimately. If you think about it, right? I mean, the opportunity that if you're going to lose salvation, it really depends on, um, have you ever had that person in your house that loses things all the time, right? Okay. Just always losing their keys, losing their wallet, losing their glasses that are on the top of their head. So we're like, right now. Okay. Like, um, that can easily happen, but some people are more prone to lose things. God doesn't lose anything. And so we've got to get back to this place to make sure we understand while we could undeniably fumble things, right? God is entirely faithful. We fumble things. We lose things. We mess things up, but God... He's faithful. He's consistent. He's reliable. And so let's look at how that goes. And so tonight, uh, first and foremost, let me talk about stages of salvation, which may sound weird because you go, stages of salvation. I was saved on that Sunday night. It was revival service, and we came in, and I prayed and walked down the aisle. And, and then I got, you know, I, that was the moment that I got saved. I, I got what you're saying here. There's three theological terms that are very important for us to unpack tonight to understand Salvation, while it may happen in a moment, it is a game-changing event that transforms everything from here on out. And while there is a moment where you say yes to Jesus, it's not as if it's just a check one time and move on. It, it, it is something that stays with you. So let's look at these three words together. Uh, but to understand this, that we should never fear that hands as strong as God's would drop something as precious as our salvation. Okay? Think about the stage of salvation. We should never fear that hands as strong as God's would drop something as precious as our salvation. Once again, I can lose things. You can lose things. I could drop things. You can drop things, but not God. So if this is something that he holds within his hands, we have to understand it in a different way than we may understand other things. Um, John six thirty seven. Jesus says it this way. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Is that clear enough for us from the words of Jesus to say, look, all that the Father gives me. So if he gives somebody to me and, and been purchased by my blood, guess what? Whoever comes, I will never cast out. So you're not in the family one day and you're kicked out of the family the next day. You are either in the family or you're not in the family, Right? So we've got to make sure that we understand this truth here tonight. So let's look at this first big word. Let's say it together. It is justification, right? Now we think about it right here in this root. There's this just thing, right? And so you typically say, well, I just say it in the middle of a sentence. I don't even know. What like when it's something is just, right? If you want, it's right, okay? It's a correct thing. It's just. So you want 
justice if something has been done poorly to you, right? Somebody steals your car, I want justice, which means I want the car back in better condition than when I found it, and that guy going to jail. That's just. That's what's right, okay? So this is, when it comes to salvation, what is right? What is made right in the court of the divine law, if you will? What is just? So let, let's think about it this way. Justification is God's declaration of our holiness. There is a moment that, um, you know the phrase people say, only God can judge me. You are correct. God, God, God's going to judge you, okay? That's going to happen, right? Um, but with this, Imagine that there is a courtroom in heaven. God is sitting at the judge, and your case comes before him. And you have no defense attorney because you really just couldn't afford one, okay? <laughs> the prosecution walks in. He doesn't have horns and a tail and a pitchfork like you might think he might, right? But Satan comes in, and actually the word Satan literally means accuser. That's what it means. Revelation chapter 12 says that he stands before God day and night accusing us by name. You know why Travis doesn't belong here, by the way? You know what he did? You know how much he's messed up in the head? You know how many sins he's committed? You know he's a pastor and he still struggles? Are you, do you, are you aware of that guy? Just want to make sure you know, before you let him into heaven, you might want to be aware of who you're really dealing with here. Now let me ask you a question. Does that overwhelm anybody <laughs> to think that Satan's got a file on you? And, let's be honest, he really doesn't have to fib on anything. We, got, we give him pretty in source material, right? Plenty of stuff we've given him. He's like, I'm not making any of this stuff up. And you're going like, you want to say he's a liar. He is a liar, but not on this. He's accurate, okay? Like, oh, that's true. Yep, did that, did that. And he even left a few things out here. Yes, you are correct. I have done all these things. Then all of a sudden, here comes the defense walking in for you. You couldn't afford it. But Jesus walks in and says, I'll pay for that. You put that on my account. I'll stand before the judge. I'll take the sentence. He goes free. In this moment in the courtroom, the gavel drops and God declares you holy. Now, the word holy means that you're set apart. You're different than. You're other than. Something different about you. are sacred now. I don't know if you woke up this morning going, I really feel sacred today. Okay, I really feel holy today. But justification is when God says... Travis is now holy. And I go, but that's not practically a reality. And God would say, yet. But right now, I am landing the gavel in the courtroom and you are seen as holy. God declares those in Christ as no longer guilty. If you are in Christ, the gospel is good news. It's not good instructions, it's good news. Good news reports on what's already been done. Jesus, the gospel of Jesus is, let me tell you what Christ has done on the cross. He has purchased your salvation. News, not instructions for you to do. News of what he's already done. So when God says, if you are in Christ, you are no longer guilty, how can that be? Because Christ has taken your place. He's taken your punishment. This is what this is about. And so with this, justification is this big, long word that basically means this. If you are in Christ, God sees you as clear before him. I've, I've always said it somewhat like this way, because when I grew up in church, a lot of times people talk about what it's going to be like when you get to heaven and have to see Jesus, and he's going to remind you of all the horrible things you've done. 
And I don't know why, but for a long time, we've always used to say, you know, the jokes were, when you get to the pearly gates, who's going to be standing there, everybody? St. Peter. Okay, St. Pete's going to be at the gate, and he's going to say, what? You know, you got this conversation, and I imagine Peter's in heaven like, that's not my job, y'all. Okay, I'm in the back. <laughs> but anyway, uh, St. Pete's at the gate. He's saying, okay, let me get who's in, who's out, whatever. And the whole question comes down to who lets you in, and, and we all have this kind of idea. We're going to have to defend ourselves in that place and say, okay, whether it's Peter, Jesus, the angel, whatever. They're going to say, "What? why do you think you should get beyond the gates? And you're like, whew, I don't think I deserve it. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I'm in pretty bad shape. I've got a lot of explaining that I need to do. I know I had a lot of sin down there, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of, I mean, I really made a mess of my life. And, and, and I don't know exactly how I'm going to get in because I know I brought a lot of sin with me. If you are in Christ and you say that statement, I brought a lot of sin with you, I believe Jesus Christ will look at you and say, what sin? And it come with you. Um, you may not be aware, but if you go back and check the records, there's a lot of stuff I did down there. No, I didn't come with you. When you said yes to Jesus, it died on the cross with him. It's done. It's paid for. So do I got to go to heaven and sit and time out for the first 200 years? No. Because when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. He did not say, you still got some explaining to do. It's finished. It's done. You're forgiven. The, the payment has been made. You're good. You're no longer guilty. Incredible? No longer guilty. And, and with this, this is how this justification thing works, right? When you receive the gospel, God justifies you, and that status can never be changed. Amen. God has justified you. He's the one who says you are now, you are free. You're no, you're no longer guilty anymore. You are clean. You are holy. You are set apart. That record has been taken care of, and Jesus has paid the price for you. Your status cannot be changed. God is not going to change his mind and say, you know what, by the way? You really do get on my nerves, <laughs> and I'm going to come at you, right? Give me an example, right? So think about it this way. Jesus dies on the cross, right? And that happens, and most people would say around 33 A.D., okay? Year 33, maybe 37, somewhere around there. Um, Travis Agnew was born in the ripe year of 1981, okay? When he died... How many of my sins were still in the future? All of them. So there's nothing that I'm going to commit tomorrow that he's going to say, whoa, I didn't see that one coming, right? Every single thing I've ever done has always been in the future when he was on the cross. So when he says it is finished, he knew all the sins we see past, present, future. All of it was future for him. And this might be scary to you, but he sees that some of us are going to struggle in about two years from now and get into a really, really low place. And he knows about that sins, and he still says, it is finished. It's covered, right? Now, that, does that give you a free pass to indulge in sin? No. no. But it does change the way we see things. Romans 5.1 says it this way, Therefore, since we have been, what? Justified, Justified by what? Faith. Faith, not by works here. It's not by what you do. It's by, by believing in what Christ has done. I'm justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You think about being justified. I know that I need to pay this money back. I know that I need to make this wrong right. I know I need to do all these things. How are we justified in Scripture? Through faith. Not by works. You can't do enough good deeds to be justified. Only through your faith. Faith in who? In Jesus Christ. And that provides the peace that you need. Galatians 3.24 says it this way. So then the law was our what? Guardian until who came? Christ came. In order that we might be justified by what again? Faith. 
faith. See it? All right. I don't know if you ever read that verse before, but it's kind of crazy. The law was our guardian. Guardian. Garden from what? Ourselves. That's what the law was. All the Old Testament, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, all those, all those kind of things in there. The law was our guardian for what? It's like the law is like train tracks. It can make the train not fall off and go to the left or the right, but it cannot move the engine forward. The law is like train tracks. It keeps a civilization somewhat. It could tip, but it's kind of a little more difficult, but it can't make you go forward. I say that because when I have small children in my home and they're growing and developing, you know what I give them early on? I give them the law. You know why? It has to be able to, or else chaos ensues, right? Okay? There are certain rules in this house that you've got to keep. Do they have, at age two, a sanctified, changed heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. It's all about them, and they will hurt anybody who gets in the way, right? Okay? They don't have a changed heart. So if I tell them, you just need to follow Jesus and do the right thing, they're going to be like, and let me see who, what other brother I can hurt right now, right? Okay, like they, they, don't, they don't care, they don't think. So what do you do when there's not been a heart change? You put the law there to keep them in play, right? Let's be honest. How many times in our own life did you think about, I want to do this, but I'm not going to because if I get caught, I'll be in trouble. Now, that's not a good godly desire, but it'll work, okay, right? You ever got your parent to wear your backside out? You thought twice about doing the next thing, right? You're like, all right, man, the law's a good guardian right here, okay? The police are a good guardian. The boss who says, if I do this, I'll be fired. It's a good guardian. Can it change me and make me godly? No, but it can keep me in line somewhat. That's what the law does. The law can be a guardian. It can't change your heart. But the law was established as a guardian until Christ came. And what that means is now, not only do we have the rules by which we should live by, but now he's going to give us the power to live, live them out in our lives in order that we might be justified, once again, not by works, but by faith. But therefore, it transforms the way that we go. So this is justification. John ten twenty eight. Jesus says this way, I give them eternal life and they will never what? perish and no one will snatch them out of what my hand now just for uh, if you got a pen or a pencil really quick i want you to kind of grab it like you got this okay grab it real hard i won't make you play this kind of little activity with your neighbor would this be fun see if you get the pencil out of your neighbor's hand okay but here's what you will find out is that you can have one hand behind your back and you put your grip on this and I would imagine that every single one of us, I don't care how feeble and frail you are, that person sitting next to you could use two hands and every force in their disposal and they cannot take that out of your grasp. There's something about your fingers and the way that this is in and that type of grasp, it's very hard to remove it. You move one finger, they work on the next one, the next one's down, right? It's just something about... Now with this, I, I'd come up and say, oh, I'd just poke you in the eyes and then take it, okay? Well, you may be able to do that, okay? But... If you were just playing my game with me, because one day I sat down with a friend who, um, well, I'll just say this. He went down front to get saved at every altar call. Y'all know that friend, okay, right? Like, I know I prayed it. I know I got baptized last week. But anybody want to receive Christ? Like, mm, maybe me again, okay? Like, I'm not exactly sure. Because he was always worried, did I say enough? In my prayer, did I do all the ABCs? And did I repent? Like, maybe I didn't do So they, every time, there's a, anybody want to pray to receive Christ? Now show your hand, he'd do this, and the Lord would know it. But he didn't want to be like, I, I do this all the time. This guy came down in front all the time. Got saved all the time. Want to get baptized all the time. And, I, and, and one day, I just finally sat down with him. I'll never forget. I said, 
I want to see if you can take this out of my hand right now. He's like, you know I'm stronger than you. I said, try it. And he starts wrestling. I said, use two hands, big boy. And he's wrestling, whatever. And I'm like, have you started yet? Because he really seemed weak right now. He's prying. He's doing everything he can. I said, you can't get it out. I said, and that's my hand. I said, what do you think the hand of God is like? He said, nobody be able to get anything out of his hand. And then I opened this verse and I said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If salvation is in the hands of God, I dare even Satan himself to try to pry it out. It's in his hands, not yours. You know why? I fumble. I fall down. I struggle. I want to quit. Not God. Not his hand. Jesus says no one can snatch them out of his hand. So that's justification. Let's look at sanctification, okay? So we've got our uh, sancta. You think about sanctify, right? Okay, you are making something holy, okay? That's what sanctification means. So justification is the moment you receive the gospel. God says, I declare you as holy. While that is a theological reality, it's not a practical one yet, right? Anybody hears your testimony? I got saved one night, got baptized, and I still struggled for a while. Somebody's like, yeah. I still struggle now. Me too. We're all there, okay? So what is sanctification? Well, sanctification is if I was declared holy, sanctification is God's process of our holiness. So he's declared me holy, even though I may not be that in practice yet. He has said theologically I am. In the court of divine law, God has put the gavel down and said, you are now holy, nothing can change that. But now comes the sanctification process. What's that, God? I'm going to make you holy. I thought you said I was. You are theologically, but practically you are not yet, and that's what we get to work on now. So, you already can see, we've got a uh, three words we're looking at. We're looking at justification, sanctification, what's the third one? Glorification. want you to see something here. Uh, in reality, justification happens in a moment, does it not? However you think through this, when you receive the gospel, like John 1 says, you are justified right there in that moment, right? How much would you say, does God do the heavy lifting or do you do the heavy lifting in that process? God does, right? He's the one who does it. This day here, glorification, we'll get to in just a moment, is the day where we finally see Jesus face to face. Either he comes to get us or you die and go see him. But in that moment, you see him as he is and you no longer sin, struggle anymore. You are completely, completely holy. On that day, who does the heavy lifting? You or him? He does. The sanctification, though, is every day between justification and glorification. It's for the rest of your life. It's the only thing that doesn't happen in the moment. It's the only thing that you and I really have anything to do with, right? Sanctification is God's process of our holiness. So what he's doing, but also our responsibility to want to grow in Christ. Sanctification represents every critical day between believing the gospel and beholding the Savior. So I'm justified when I believe in the gospel. I'll be glorified when I behold the Savior. But every other day in between is this day called sanctification, which is the long, hard, steady, devoted work of following Jesus and learning how to do it better. It makes sense to me that the only thing that I'm really heavily involved in is the one thing that takes a lifetime to accomplish. And so the goal is this. You're in Christ. God declares you as holy. One day you will be in heaven and you will truly, truly be holy. But every day until that day, you should be progressively over time, a little bit out of stage, working through this sin, going through that obedience. You should be trending more godly, right? 
Does that mean that I'll always be better every single day? No. Any of you before felt like you made two steps forward and three steps back? You'll have that, right? You'll have that. I'm doing a little better than, oh man, here I go again. The trajectory of your life should be pointing towards Jesus though. That's what it's saying. So it's leading you in this moment. Discipleship is our side of sanctification. And it will not be complete until we die. That's frustrating for anybody here. Sorry. Right? Okay. Um, We're not there yet. And I don't know how long any of us have, but I do know this. Until my dying day, there will still be work to be done. Right? In fact, um, have you all ever known somebody that at different stages of their life, they started struggling in areas they didn't 10 years in the back, right? Um, Some of you all have cared for somebody in the last years of their life. Sometimes people get really, really kind and compassionate. And sometimes they want to get you, right? Okay, like they, they, they do. They, they, they struggle in different ways that they never saw before. So discipleship is our sign of sanctification. It will not be complete until we die. So we continue to try to make progress over and over time to become more like him. So we study, learn, try to work towards obedience. And Christ all along the way is working on us, making us more holy over time. So at age... Uh, seven, when I responded to the gospel at age 41 that I am right now at every stage of my life, there's work to be done. And until the last moment on, I promise you this, if I work as hard as I can and I live for as long as I possibly can, then all of a sudden, the moment before I die, I'll still have a ways to go. The goal is, though, I don't have as much ways to go then as I do now. Does that make sense? Closing the gap a little bit. New issues may pop up, but you are closing the gap over time. And that's, that's kind of the goal. That you want to say, am I growing? Am I becoming more complete? Am I becoming more mature? Am I doing what Christ has called me to do? And over time, seeing progress in my life. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says it this way. Now may the God of peace himself, what? Sanctify you completely. Not just parts of you, but make every part of you holy. That's the job. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the what? Coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're working and trying to get more holy until the day that he comes. And we want to be ready, right? We're, we're preparing ourselves and trying to get there. But it's this job of sanctifying ourselves, becoming more holy. John seventeen seventeen, 17, um, Jesus says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your what? Your word is truth. That's how we become more holy. Philippians 1 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to what? Completion. When's he going to do it? The day of Jesus Christ. What day is that? When he comes back. He's going to complete what he started in you on the day that he comes back. How many of you would say, Can you push that forward a few years? Okay, right. I really, really, really like to get a little head on that. And, um, and I'll say, I, I get it, but. It's making progress. I, I'll say this. Um, a mentor of mine, one day I was riding in the car with him, and I asked something. I said, you know, uh, have you gotten to a place in your own spiritual life where you feel like you've, you've gotten rid of some of the sins that have easily entangled you? You've made some progress and maturity in some areas that you used to be immature in. Are you getting to a place where you just don't struggle as much or kind of feel like you're really close to the Lord and you're kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm in a good spot? Because this guy really seemed really holy to me. And he looked at me and probably said some of the most real and also discouraging words I've ever heard. He said, I have realized this, that the closer that I get to Jesus, the more far off I realize I really am. 
getting closer, getting closer, getting closer. Oh, wow, it's a little bit further along the way, right? Oh, getting closer, getting closer. Oh, it's a little further along the way. Now, if any of you have ever watched the Lord of the Rings movie, it was like every time they've done something huge and gotten over a big mountain, they're like, oh, they're almost there. Oh, that's actually just one crest of the mountains. And now the whole next movie is we got to go 500 another miles through another set of mountains. That's kind of what it feels like in the Christian life, right? Hey, I'm getting there. you got a little more to go, a little bit more to go. But this is good news, folks. Guess what? He's going to complete it. You're his? Oh, it's going to be complete. It's going to be done. And we're in this process now. And we're working towards what? Glorification, to be glorified, to be, to be to something that has, in every aspect of who we are, we give him what? Glory. glory, right? Make sense? Okay. So glorification is God's completion of our holiness. It's finally when we are complete. On that day, no more tears, no more pain, no more sin, no more lines at the DMV, right? Okay, now it's just... All of those things gone. When you finally see Jesus, you will be holy, holy, completely holy, thoroughly holy. Not an aspect of your private life that may everybody else thinks okay, but Jesus knows different. No, in that moment, it's all good. Every aspect of it. So, on one end, you can just say, well, I'll just wait till that day. No. Stages of this, you are declared holy, there's a process of holiness, and then one day there will be the completion of it. But we're not, today, at the glorification thing, as far as we know, right? Unless something changes in the next little bit. Some of you may today say, I'm, I'm ready for that justification moment, but most of us are in that sanctification where God is making us more holy. And so what happens on the glorification day is with eternity to enjoy, we will say good riddance to the unholiness of our lives and that which is present in this current world. Everything unholy in you will be done away with that day. Everything unholy in this world will be done away with that day. It's going to be a good day, right? It's going to be a good, good day that we look forward to and long to see. And until that moment comes, we continue to allow God to do the work in our own lives. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, I love this part, who is your life, when he appears... Then you also will appear with him in what? Glory. glory. That sounds pretty good, right? Okay. I'm going to appear with him in glory. I'm not going to be uh, uh, fighting against being glorious. I'm going to actually appear with him in glory. Second Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, right, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, Right? This whole uh, unveiled face, if you will, right? There's, there's this uh, imagery of when Moses was on Mount Sinai with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He came down and everybody said, we need sunglasses because you're radiant so much, right? Whew, man, it blinded me. Moses, man, you got to back up. Like, you were glowing with something. Did you get a tan up there? Like, what is this, right? He was glowing with the glory of the Lord all upon him that everybody couldn't handle it. And this is a thought of this. that So basically, sometimes Moses would have to put a veil on to give everybody a break because of the radiance of God upon him. And it says we're coming to a day where we will not have a veil anymore. No veil in the temple, no veil in our face. We will behold him, and we will be like him, finally. Transformed, the same image from one degree of glory to another. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says it this way, but our citizenship is where? 
It's in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Anybody here tonight kind of concerned about what this earthly body is, guess what? You don't get to keep it forever. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Right? I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to have some wonderful locks of hair one day. I can just see it right now. I'm flowing in there. Okay, like, uh, there is coming a day, right? Even in that, well, that is one simple way to look at it. There's going to be something even better. If there are bumps and blemishes and issues and aches and pains in our physical body, in the same way in our spiritual souls, there's that kind of stuff and much more. And one day all that stuff is gone. We walk with him, like him, finally, finally. Now, let me talk really quick, though, about the guarantees of salvation. If we've got justification, sanctification, glorification, what does this look like? Because the Trinity's responsibility for our salvation provides the durability it requires. When I say the Trinity, this is one of those deep theological concepts, but it is this idea of God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And it's His responsibility for our salvation, not our responsibility for our salvation. It's His responsibility. It's God's responsibility and it provides the durability it requires. Once again, if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are involved in this, it's going to last. If I'm the only one responsible, it's not going to make it. Now, this word Trinity, if you don't know this, that word is not in the Bible. But the concept is all over the place. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord who? Jesus Christ. And the love of who? God. And the fellowship of the who? Holy Spirit be with you all. So in this, the word Trinity is not there, but apparently the Trinity is. And I love the fact of what each uh, description is attributed to each member of the Godhead. Grace goes along with Jesus. The love goes along with God. Fellowship goes along with who? Spirit. There's different facets of who each person brings to us that jesus brings the grace that we need through his cross god's love that he would even reach out to us in the spirit is the fellowship that we need to make it in this life so so think about it this way let's look at it this way of, of each person so the father has a will and scripture says his will is that you'd be saved Father's will. Let's look at it together. If the Father is the one who initiates the relationship and extends us grace, nothing could change his activity or desire. We talked about last week. Here's the thing. It is God who initiates the relationship. It's God who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's not your idea to be saved. It's God's idea to save you. So we've got to understand, if there's a relationship, somebody's got to start this thing off, right? So I can think through... I was 11th grade, Amanda was 10th grade, we were singing in a high school chorus together, and I thought, that girl right there, she's awesome, I'm going to have to initiate a relationship with her. Fortunately, she was not initiating a relationship with me. Maybe she was just overtaken by my rugged masculinity and incredibly good looks, I don't know, but I had to initiate, somebody's got to start this thing, right? Now, typically... Typically, the one who initiates it is the one who's thinking, if I can pull some wool over her eyes, she might go on a date with me, right? Okay, like typically the person who's in the, I would say, the upper level of whatever you may think is not the one going, yeah, I'll just date this loser. That's not how it works. It's the guy going, I wonder if I got a shot. Let me see if I can do this, right? 
Now, in this, this is what's so amazing. You would think it would be us initiating the relationship with the Almighty God, but it is the Almighty God initiating a relationship with peons like us. I want you. Why? Because I want you. Because I love you. I made you. I care for you. I want you to have hope in your life. You go, we're way out of our league with him. He knows it. And yet he still comes looking for us. He initiates it. John 6, 37 says, All that the Father, what? Gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. God, the Father, has a desire to give us in a gift of, like for salvation. It, it's his will. He desires this. We typically think of Father God as the Old Testament character, right? He was very, very angry at people and would blow stuff up when he got, you know, in a bad mood and stuff. This is not the God that we see throughout Scripture. This is a God who is pursuing his people over and over and over again and giving second and third and a thousand chances, who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, is what the Word tells us. John 10, 29 we looked at verse 28 a little while ago, but look at this. My Father, Jesus says, who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them, what? Out of the Father's hand. Try to take my kids from me, right? I dare you. Try to take my kids from me, God says. And there's no way that anyone could. So it's the Father's will that we would be saved. But then it's also the Son's work. What does the Son do for our salvation? What does He do? What does Christ do? If the Son's work was complete upon the cross, once again, what did He say? It is finished. So if the Son's work was complete upon the cross, then no sin of ours could outpower His grace. Jesus Christ, His blood can cover all of our sins. He is not um, deficient. He is not running, going to run out. You are not going to outsend His grace. In fact, you have to always, always, always remember that once again, not only were our sins in the future, but so was all of humanity's when He set this whole redemption thing in motion. And so, with this, we have to realize that just like in Exodus, remember what took place first? Did God give them the laws and rescue them, or did He rescue them and give them laws? He rescued them, made them His people, saved them, brought them out of slavery, and now says, Now that you are mine, I want you to act like you are mine. Don't get those two things confused. Don't get them out of order. The Son's work was complete upon the cross, and so no sin of ours could outpower His grace. Romans 8, 38-39 says it this way, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a whole list of stuff there that he just said. No one can separate you from who? The love of God in Christ. Christ Jesus our Lord. So death can't separate you from him and even our messed up lives can't do that. Angels themselves or rulers could not keep you away. Things present nor the things that are coming down the pipeline in the future powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation. Nothing can keep you from the love of God. If Christ came to die for you nothing can keep you from him. Look what it says in 1 John 5.13 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the who? Son of God, that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. 1 John 5.13 means this. God does not want you to be unsure tonight if you belong to him. He wants you to know. To know that you know that you know that you know that you belong to Jesus. 
And a lot of you, your, your testimonies may sound something like this. Well, my, you know, my parents took me to church when I was a kid, and they always said I had to be there. And, you know, one day I felt really guilty, and I went down, and I prayed with the preacher, and I got baptized. But then, whoo-wee, age 16, things changed, right? And I started some stuff that did not slow down for the next, I don't know, 20 years of my life, and now I'm at this place again. And I don't know if that was there now, if that was real, or where I am now. Like, what, what does all this mean? He means this. He doesn't want you to be unsure if you belong to him. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. And, and how do you know? Do you believe in the Son of God? Do you believe that he is able to give you eternal life? Do you have this belief and you go, well, I'm not sure if I had it back then or I'm not sure if I got it now. I'm like, what does it matter? Here's the deal. If I forgot my wedding date, which I have it, by the way, but if I did, okay, you go, you can't remember your wedding date? Does that mean you're not married? Well, apparently I still am because, you know, I got a piece of paper she signed, okay? Like, she's locked in, okay? Like, I may struggle with the date or some of the things, that, and, and, and things seem so long ago that I forget certain things, but the most important thing is right now, where am I with that woman, right? Am I married to her now or not? The deal is this. You can waste the rest of your life trying to discern if you got saved at age 7, 11, 16, 63, whatever it is. The most important thing is where are you now? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and you are putting your faith in him? Do you believe that now? I can't put a date on the calendar. Today's the date you need to worry about. Is that where you are spiritually? And, and so, and even with this, I'll, I'll say this because of this conversation with somebody recently. They said, um, I got baptized when I was seven, but I don't think I got saved until recently. What do I need to do? Because uh, I feel like basically when I was seven, all I did was I got wet. It wasn't spiritual. I, I got baptized because I knew it made my mom happy and all my friends were, my siblings were. So I got baptized, but I think it was much now I'm just receiving Christ. What should I do? I don't think you need to get baptized every time you feel guilty, but baptism is something that should happen after salvation. So if you went through a ritual service one day and you got baptized, but you never were saved, but now you're saved, then I think it's a good thing to be baptized. I do think it's because you say, hey, I went through religious service back then, but now I know I belong to Jesus, and I want to tell everybody, like, this is my symbol, right? And what is the symbol? I'm going down into the water saying I was spiritually dead, but Christ has brought me back to life again. And so you stand up and say, this is my testimony right here, right now, and you can stand firm in it so that you know that you know that you know that you know that you believe in the Son of God. But then finally we have the Spirit's witness upon us. If the Spirit secures our salvation... There is no force able to remove his seal. There is a... Scripture says that the Spirit seals us or secures our salvation. It's a guarantee. It's an inheritance. It's a somewhat, if you will, to say, I've got this down to make sure you know I'm going to come for you again. This is what the Spirit serves as in our life. He secures our salvation. And if the Spirit is the one who does this, right, who's going to take that out, right? You can't do it. Um... Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 1.22. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his what? His spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. I like that right there, right? How do you know? How am I sure that when either I die or Christ comes back, like how do I know that I'm going to heaven? There should be evidence in your life that the spirit's working. Should be evidence there. He's put his spirit in our hearts as like a guarantee, I'm coming back for you and you belong to me. And you go, what does that mean? Do I feel like real goosebumps when I'm in worship sometimes? Do I hear a voice telling me to go walk down this aisle and, and do that? Like, is that what this means? I 
think one of the best ways to know if the Spirit's working in your life if there is tension to follow Him. And you go, I thought I had Spirit, I'd have no tension. No. Here's what I know about my, my, myself. I'm still prone to wander, right? I still can struggle. Sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor, I feel like I'm still, I just, I hate what I'm getting into and I'm struggling this sin and I hate it, I'm trying to fight, but I've struggled with it so much, maybe I'm not saved. And I said, if you weren't saved, I don't think it'd bother you, right? But if you are saved and you go, oh, I just hate this and I keep falling into it, like what's wrong with me? You sound like the Apostle Paul at the end of Romans chapter 7. He says the good stuff I want to do, I, I don't do. Stuff I hate, I keep falling around doing. Like, who's going to save me, right? And he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Folks, sometimes the tension is evidence that the Spirit is inside you. Saying, wake up, old boy, this isn't you. This isn't who you're called to be. Now, if there's no tension, you might want to check your battery. Okay, you know what I'm saying? If there's no tension, if there's no conflict, if it's just I can do whatever I want to and there's nothing, you may want to make sure, are you truly have the Spirit inside you? Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not, what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for, what? The day of redemption. So don't grieve Him, okay? If, if the Spirit's in you, you're not going to lose Him, but you really can grieve Him and and. And, and, and a sense of like going, you're going off path of what he's called you to do, but you've been sealed by him for what? So that you're going to make it on the day of redemption. It's a seal to say that you belong to Christ. And when Christ brings home those who are his, you will be counted in that number. So with this, let me ask this question before we leave. What about those who leave the faith? If you're telling me, if it's God's work, he justifies us, he sanctifies us, he glorifies us, well, who can stop it? If the Father's will is to save me, and it's the Son's work that saves me, and it's the Spirit's witness that I am saved, then what about those people who used to be in church, who used to love God and no longer are? Y'all ever seen that happen in your life? You know somebody like that? I know so many people like that. I know people who at one point seemed even more spiritual than me, that are not even walking with the Lord now, right? So I go, so they lost their salvation, right? That's, that's the, what would you think? You go, well, maybe, they, maybe they had it, and now they lost it. But once again, that's the salvation in their hands. They can fumble that. If salvation's in God's hand, then what took place here? Here's how I'd answer that. They were never truly converted. If someone seems to have fallen away, seems to have lost their salvation, I will just tell you this, they never had it in the first place. You go, but I saw them go down in the aisle. I saw them get baptized. They signed a church covenant. They were a member. They went on a, they went on a trip with the church, quoting Bible. So can Satan. James 2.19, even the demons believe and they shudder. So, so the deal is this. I believe that there are people who had what seemed like a true faith, but in actuality what it was was either an emotional or a spiritual reaction, but it was never a conversion. You know why? First John 2.19 says it this way, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Sanctification. You keep walking. What if you stumble? You get back up again and you keep walking. What if you had a season of, I don't know, a few months, a few years? You get back up and you keep going. 
If you are of Christ, you're going to continue with him. If you've walked away, you were playing a game in the first place. And so what that means is some of us may have somebody that we love and care for that we go, oh no, does this mean that they're not saved? It may mean they're not saved. Because you know why? If you know Christ, you ought to be walking with Christ. And if you're not walking with Christ, that at least gives us warnings that you may not be of Christ. So how does that change? If you see, think of somebody that you go, they used to be in church, no longer in church, how do I... You don't see them as I'm just trying to get you back in church and started doing good things again. You may need to consider they need the gospel. They need to know the good news of salvation. And you go, what if they already are saved? That's not your concern. You need to make sure they have the good news and understand who Jesus is and they need to be brought back to him. And so with it, this is how you answer that question. And the second one, I just respond again. Can salvation be lost? Can salvation be lost? Not if God is the one who's responsible for it. So if you've tried to save yourself, your works, good luck. But if this is something that you've believed in what Christ has done and not what you were trusting yourself to do, then guess what? God's responsible for it. You cannot lose it. I bring this verse of Scripture to conclude our time together in Psalm 51, 12, because David says in a worship song to God, Restore to me the joy of whose salvation? Yours. Your salvation. So I have a friend who grew up as a pastor's kid. And one day he had to give testimony in church service. And he said, and he referenced this verse. So he's on the platform. But this is a church where the, the pastors have those, you know, those big thrones they used to have on, on, the, on the, you know, those big old things they had to sit in, this kind of stuff. And um, I, I couldn't do it. I'm too distracted. I'd be like, what is wrong with y'all? Like I, but anyway, they had these big thrones they'd sit in. And so uh, his dad, his pastor, is behind him on the throne. Um, and he's at the microphone, and he's giving a testimony, and he says, you know, like Psalm 51.12 says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And his dad goes, your. And he didn't understand what he was saying. He was like, you know, I'm just asking God to restore to me the joy of my salvation. Your. He's like, what? <laughs> what? And his dad goes, it's not my salvation. It's thy salvation. It's not what you have done. It's what he has done. It's not your salvation in the first place. It's God's. And my friend says, he goes, that concludes my testimony. <laughs> now he walks off the platform. He's done, right? But I will say, maybe not the, the kindest way to correct uh, your boy on stage for the whole church, but it's about as true as we need to wrap up with here tonight. If it was your salvation, then you better believe it. You and I could lose it. But if it's God's, if it's his, he doesn't drop it. If you are his, he will not drop you. Restore to me the joy, God, of your salvation, not my salvation. Give me the joy. And how, how does that bring joy? Because I go, I can't lose this. He's done it. He's saved me. He's sanctified me. He's, he's going to save me, and when he comes back, he's going to bring me home. I restore the joy, God, of your salvation. It is not mine to earn. It's not mine to keep. It's not mine to lose. It is yours and yours alone, and that brings joy to my soul. hope it brings some to yours. So, Father, tonight... As we pray and think about it, God, we ask right here in this very place that for any of us, that if our hope is in anything, it's not in ourselves. It's in what Christ has done rather than what we have done. And so that is how our salvation can be sure. And so, Lord, I just pray even for anybody here tonight at a theology course that may have thought that they had earned their way to salvation by doing more good deeds than bad deeds. Lord, I pray right now your spirit would wake all of us up that maybe some of us had religion, but we've never had grace. Maybe we had church attendance but we've never truly known you and been converted 
So if there's anybody here tonight that just needs to place their faith in Christ and say, God, I'm trusting in you for my salvation. I know that I have sinned and that I need you more than anything else. That right here, right now, you can just pray right where you are and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. You are my only way for salvation. Thank you for taking my place. God, as we know your love for us and Christ's sacrifice for us and the Spirit coming in and seal this inheritance, we believe that you will keep us in the day, until the day that we see you. It's for that day that we continue to follow. In the name of Jesus, we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.